Hi, this is Lisa, and you're listening to the Conscious Communication Design Podcast. I'm a design researcher and educator, and I want to talk to you about how we can make communication design sustainable, how we can be conscious about our decisions, and what impact we and our work have on the world, and how we can use our skills for positive change. On Monday this week, uh, the first of a series of IPCC reports was released and it made for shocking and disturbing headlines. What is this report and what can we as designers draw from it? Okay, so the IPCC is the International Panel on Climate Change by the UN that creates reports based on scientific evidence and data. This report that was released on Monday, quote, addresses the most up-to-date physical understanding of the climate system and climate change, bringing together the latest advances in climate science and combining multiple lines of evidence from paleoclimate observations, process understanding and global and regional climate simulations. End quote. So what does this report mean for us and how can we use it? The findings are also presented in a summary for a policymakers report, which is really cool. So this is a summary of the understanding of the current state of the climate and includes how it is, how the climate is changing and the role of human influence, the state of knowledge about possible climate futures, climate information relevant to regions and sectors and limiting human induced climate change. So the key findings are formulated as statements of fact with specific IPCC language. There's even a document which is only two pages that has only the headlines of the summaries. I put the link into the show notes as well. And those headlines are compiled into four sections. A. The current state of the climate. B. Possible climate futures. C. Climate information for risk assessment and regional adaptation, and D, limiting future climate change. So this is such an amazing publication because it's so you know, user user friendly. Like as in, it allows us to, to use those headlines and make use of that. Especially designers being able to draw from these statements and, for example, making infographics from it. Okay, so I'm going to read um, some of those uh, headlines so you get a feel for it, okay? Um, now, one of those headlines, as I said, the overall is just the two pages, so it's not really that much. Um, do make sure you read through those. They're really interesting. Okay, so one is, it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean and land. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere and biosphere have occurred. This is pretty amazing because you can see by the language, this is pressing, it is, it is present, it is unequivocal. It's amazing. Okay, so uh, another one is global surface temperature will continue to increase until at least the mid-century under all emission scenarios considered. Global warming of 1.5 and two degrees Celsius will be exceeding during the 21st century unless deep reductions in carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions occur in the coming decades. Another one is 
low likelihood outcomes such as ice sheet collapse, abrupt ocean circulation changes, some compound extreme events and warming substantially larger than the assessed very likely range of future warming cannot be ruled out and are part of risk assessment. Again, incredible, these, this language. I mean, yes, this is, this is horrible, but we now have it black on white. This is happening. We can't even rule out, like climate scientists all over the world cannot even rule out these very, very worst case scenarios. Um, and now, now we have it as a fact. We can show to people there's no denying it anymore. There's absolutely no denying it anymore if you, there still was some. Okay, one more fact and then uh, we move on. From a physical science perspective, limiting human-induced global warming to a specific level requires limiting cumulative CO2 emissions, reaching at least net zero CO2 emissions, along with strong reductions in other greenhouse gas emissions. Strong, rapid and sustained reductions in CH4 emissions could also limit the warming effect resulting from declining aerosol pollution and would improve air quality. So you can hear the uh, kind of um, positive inclination here. This is uh, one of the, um, uh, the section D of those uh, four sections limiting future climate change. So how can we compensate for this? Okay, so now what can we do with this? I know these are long sentences for a podcast, um, hence do have a look at the show notes where I've linked um, the report. But we can use this as absolutely unequivocal source for climate communication. You have a client that's on the fence about using the more sustainable option despite equal cost? Create an infographic with one of these statements. Put it in your slides. There is absolutely no counter argument. I was excited when I looked at this report because there is no ambiguity in the language. There is no maybe, maybe not. It's crystal clear and no one can argue against it. Let's use this scientifically factual statements to convince those that still need convincing. I really hope they're not out there, but I mean, we all know what they are. Okay, so now um, off to the topic I meant to be talking to, uh, about today um, in this week's episode. Um, I felt like we had to kind of talk about the IPCC report because, um, well, there was a lot of, um, in my social bubble anyways, there was a lot of like commenting about how, how horrible it sounds. Um, but I wanted to offer you, you know, another perspective of how, how to look at it, see it as a, an opportunity. Today's uh, topic, though, is um, how we can choose the right medium or platform for our communication. So often the medium is determined by the client brief or by the budget, but more often than not, we have a say in it. And if the client isn't asking for our opinion, we have to make it clear to them that we aren't pixel pushers, but that they are hiring us as expert communicators. So now that we've established that it is us that decide which medium should be used for our communication, how do we decide? In Mad Men times, sorry if I keep referencing that show, but actually, uh, not sorry, <laughs> I think it's fair to assume any graphic designers 
um, any graphic designer has seen at least one episode as it gives a brilliant introduction to advertising history. Anyways, uh, in Mad Men times, which is only 50, 60 years ago, there was only so much to choose from. Traditional media, basically. So that was TV, radio, posters, billboards, flyers, direct mail, maybe point of sale. I actually, um, just in preparation for this episode, I just looked up um, if they had direct mail back then, because yeah, I have a bad memory, so I'm not recollecting uh, did they ever actually do, um, design direct mail in or do a campaign with it in Mad Men. Anyways, um, so I wasn't sure, as I assumed printing and material cost must have been comparably higher at the time. But um, no, they did. Direct mail, in the Western world anyways, started around World War II and became increasingly popular once computers became more affordable in the 70s. Because in order to directly mail recipients, you had to store and maintain large databases of addresses, which was very difficult without a computer. Remember when Sterling Cooper, um, that's the ad agency in Mad Men, gets their first computer? That's in the year 1969 in the show. And they have a glass-enclosed, climate-controlled room that's being built to house the agency's first computer, which is the IBM System 360. And it's in the space where the copywriters used to meet. So yeah, it's a whole room. <laughs> and the computing power of that device has a capacity of two megabytes. <laughs> two megabytes, indeed. The photo you take on your smartphone is larger than that. The purpose of the computer likely was to target potential revenue streams. Um, so you could like run commands on it and uh, yeah. And data analysts would kind of like, you know, look look at that, uh, the curves that the computer produced. I don't know, I don't fully understand it, sorry. Um, but I found an interesting article on the Harvard Business Review that explains the functionality of that computer. And I'm gonna put the link in the, um, in the show notes as well in case <laughs> you wanna look at that. Um, I just always love really like comparing data from previous times and how we used it and what we what how we made use of computer compa capacity in contrast to how we use it now. Okay, back on topic. Fast forward to modern times. The Oxford Dictionary defines an advertising medium as quote a vehicle of communication which enables some form of advertising. Print, billboard, television, radio, website, catalog, direct mail, etc. End quote. Etc. Oof. <laughs> what is etc? What isn't advertising these days? That reminds me of a stylish selection of little clothing I saw in the shop the other day. Um, exclaimer for the international listeners that may not be familiar. Little, similar to Aldi if you heard of it, is a discounted chain from originally from Germany with a total of 11,000 stores in Europe and the United States. They have a pretty horrible block color logo that, in the nicest words I can find, looks like 90s trash. And they decided to print that on anything from socks to t-shirts and sneakers, which are also fashioned in the bold primary color design. 
Like, pff, wow. <laughs> and that stuff isn't free. Like, you pay for it. Or, honestly, I don't know who does, but... Yeah, I don't know. It did get me thinking anyways. <laughs> Again, I'm putting a link in the show notes. You have to look at this kind of... Um, yeah, anyways. <clears throat> so, we're not just paying to be proud brand ambassadors of Gucci, Under Armour and Co. No, also for the local cheap discounter, apparently. What's more, we live in a world where individuals choose to be marketing vehicles for a little to a lot of cash on the side, depending on how well they sell their soul. We call them influencers. Advertising also, like pretty much anything else, has to be an experience these days. It's not enough to hang up a poster and hope someone manages to accidentally look at it instead of what currently distracts them on their phone. Instead, a brand has to be an experience and the consumer is fully immersed in it in order to engage, as otherwise they can't even digest the marketing you directed them as they're drowning in the flood of information and things trying to get their attention. Okay, I'm sounding very doom and gloomy here. I have to clarify, I love advertising. Not because of the power it holds to manipulate people, maybe also that, but because of the strategic thinking behind it. You have to figure out the message you want to send, the medium you want to send it through, and the impact you aim to achieve. So what are the media we would decide on for classical communication strategies for our clients? Traditionally, we determine the medium based on the audience, the budget and the message. But let's add one more parameter in there, sustainability. Now I'd love to say um, the carbon footprint because that's so nice and tangible it can be measured and it can be represented in numerics. But we need to consider the overall in environmental footprint. As for example, recycling paper causes wastewater contamination that needs to be treated and producing a digital message needs to be received by a digital device. And those are primarily produced using rare earths uh, coming from an industry with exploitative working conditions. And then as a third factor within the sustainability bracket, we should be considering the societal influence of our communication. And I think this is indeed influenced by which medium we use. If you're using a social media platform to communicate your client's message, you're making a statement and you're supporting the success of that platform. This is such a difficult decision. As on the one hand, you want to pick up your audience where they communicate with each other, but um, just because Facebook has 2.8 billion active users, whatever that means, you probably won't reach teens and tweens in Europe there. Those can usually be best found on Twitch, uh, Snapchat, TikTok. But should you be using those as a platform for your advertising in the first place? Social media campaigns, the ones that actually engage through user-generated content, encourage users to usually upload video or image content and often showing the user themselves. 
I think when using methods like this, we should A. Be aware that there will be ethical consequences of the large amounts of image and video data freely available to artificial intelligence. For example, for the creation of deepfakes. Uh, deepfakes are the videos and images where artificial intelligence called deep learning is used to create fake events like you might have seen this uh, Barack Obama calling Trump a dipshit. You've seen those images like it's or, or videos where um, they basically put like the voice of someone else onto the face of someone. So it looks like they're saying something, you know, that they never would be. But anyway, so it's yeah, it's very, I put a um, YouTube link in the show notes as well so you can have a look. But I'm, I'm sure you know what I mean. Also, um, an increased digital footprint poses great risks, such as being more prone to phishing attacks and stalking. Using TikTok could stand in the way of a user working in their chosen field. For example, ones that requires a high degree of security, such as a high profile government occupations. Since a foreign country has access to highly personal and detailed information about you. You might have heard that TikTok is Chinese, but that TikTok isn't actually available to Chinese owners. They do have their own version called Douyin. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, and that's due to the country's strict censorship regulations. Yet, they are storing the data of all the international users, which is, uh, I think, around 300 million at this time, but it's accelerating very, very fast. But it's not like TikTok is the big devil here. Other social media platforms are just as bad when it comes to data security. We should all avoid over-trusting and over-sharing with apps that don't value security and privacy from the get-go. And we should probably not exploit young users by encouraging them to overshare in order to trend our newest hashtag. Uh, that was A. <laughs> now comes B. Uh, considering the carbon footprint of large amounts of data created, stored and sent, in order to gauge the carbon footprint of a TikTok video, I wanted to first know the typical file size of those videos, just to see what we're even talking about. So I researched and uh, TikTok lets you upload a 288 megabyte video on iOS. And if you're on Android, it's 72 megabyte of maximum upload for a video. They do use a video compression algorithm that appears to be mysterious even to heavy users or professional users. Um, there is an option to upload HD versions, which is kind of uh, hidden in the upload settings. Um, but how that, yeah, as I said, how that algorithm works, I couldn't find out. Nobody seems to be really knowing that. They're probably gonna keep that secret, I suppose. I guess algorithms nowadays are like, you know, Heinz ketchup recipes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, or Coca-Cola. <laughs> okay, so to see how large videos actually are um, after upload, I downloaded a few random videos that use the hashtag HD or HD video. And the videos I downloaded then from TikTok ranged from 
1.6 to 16.3 megabytes. So it's quite a heavy compression or write, thinking that what they were able to upload was 288 um, or 72 megabytes. So it's, it's a heavy reduction. Yet, of course, and, and you can see that reduction and a lot of users complain about, you know, their videos looking shitty. But of course, they have to re reduce them heavily, compress them heavily. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to scroll through that so fast. Okay, and um, yeah, of course, a compressed HD image would still be in the kilobytes or bytes region compared to those uh, two to 17 megabytes that the videos had that I looked at. 60 seconds of TikTok use is estimated to create a carbon impact of almost five gram equivalent uh, carbon dioxide. All social media use projected display in progress of the newsfeed as being representative over the duration of daily usage per user makes 102 kilogram equivalent CO2 per user per year. So that's an estimate by Green Spectre that I found on the social media carbon impact. So it's 102 kilogram of CO2 per year. Of course, we should also consider um, how the platforms run their data centers. Greenpeace published a report on this on, in 2017 but given that that's already four years ago and there's no newer report, I won't go into it at this stage. Or there might be a newer report and I uh, haven't found it. Okay, so which medium do we use then? There obviously can't be a silver bullet here. And I'm not saying that we have to avoid the newer social media platforms altogether. Especially if this is what indeed the best way is to target the client's audience specifically. But I think that especially here, we need to be ever so mindful of the impact we create through the actual content we create for clients. But we are also partially responsible for the actions we encourage our audience to take. If Trump is responsible for encouraging people to storm the Capitol, so are advertisers that encourage users to create content that is making them vulnerable to be exploited or disadvantaged in the future and creates a ginormous amount of carbon. I've talked a lot about social media now. I can't touch on all the different media we have available to us these days, but social media is probably often overlooked in its negative impact and prized as, if it works, um, having the greatest return on investment. I think much of this thinking is transferable. TV ads aren't solely shown on traditional television sets anymore. They're displayed on streaming platforms as well. So the way we choose those streaming platforms, depending on our targeted demographic, but also on the platform itself. We can see it as a vendor and should choose our vendors carefully because we do have the power. And with traditional print media, I urge you all to consider not just the production, but also what happens to the material after use. Print advertising is so very harmful overall for the environment because it usually has a very, very short life cycle compared to other design products. 
think clothing, furniture, products. That is what makes it even more important that we consider their full impact. And I'm looking forward to go into more detail of sustainable print options in future episodes. Okay, what are your thoughts on social media ad campaigns? Um, or in general about, you know, this episode. I do want to hear your feedback. Please let me know. Help me spread the word about this podcast, please, so that we can have discourse and this doesn't remain a one-sided communication. You can get in touch with me through Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at ccdbylisa on both. Please like, share and follow the podcast on whatever app you're listening to it. Give me a rating. Tell other designers about it. I'll talk to you next week where I'll start with an introduction to paper. Until then, thank you for listening and take care.